Episode 38 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Uh, my name is Jeremy Groden. I am a, I'm flying for a charter company in Houston, Texas. Uh, flying Lear 75s and Citation 650s now. Um, I was flying the King Air 200 for the company for a little while. Uh, that's actually what I started on at the company and uh, just recently got pulled off at the Fly the Lear. Um, it's on-demand charter. It's also flying, so all 135 with some 91 flying for the owners. Uh, it's its own, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure as, you, uh, as you've seen it uh, at your company, you've seen that it's the 135 world can be pretty interesting. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Man, last week was crazy. I went to Oshkosh for the very first time, and that is just an av geek's paradise. If you guys have not gone, you need to make it a priority. It was a lot of fun. I was only there for six hours, so it was a three-hour drive from Chicago, a three-hour back. Spent as much time in the car as I did at the actual air show, but it was awesome. Got to hang out with Chris Palmer awesome podcast angle of attack you guys know him very well i'm sure uh, i got to meet up with some other great guys uh, i got to meet steve for the first time uh trying to tell him that i want him to get on the podcast a little bit but it's going to help if you guys reach out to him and let him know that you want to hear his story on the podcast so go ahead and do that also got to meet the candorist he was a really cool guy and I look forward to getting him on the podcast at some time as well so many other cool people there that i got to meet i'm sorry if i didn't get to name everyone but Aviation, today I'm talking with Jeremy Groden. Currently, he flies for a 135 company down in Houston, Texas, and he also works management there too. This episode's pretty awesome. I've been talking with Jeremy for a while, and we kind of know each other pretty well and know our backgrounds, but he does hiring for his company. So it's really cool. We talk about what he looks for in resumes, what's a huge red flag, what's going to get him to crumple up the resume and throw it away immediately. And we talk about what he really looks for and what he wants to see at a resume. So I really think this episode, you're going to be able to get a lot out of it and really apply it to finding your first job or finding the job that you want. Some of the things we find out about Jeremy are why did Jeremy start flying in the first place? How mentors are extremely important to help you navigate through this career? How the first plane Jeremy ever flew was a turbine-powered aircraft? How Jeremy initially wanted to only fly as a hobby? How he decided to pay for it and how his parents had him come up with a business plan tell him how he's going to pay for it how much he wanted to take out what's the limit he was going to take out and when it was kind of like a a no you know going back moment which is really cool and we talk most importantly about how you just cannot fake it while learning to fly you either know it or you don't guys there's so much more stuff that we have in this episode and i really really can't wait for you guys to hear this some of the other things going on pilot to pilot i'm currently working on some other stuff with the website hopefully i'll get that up in the next couple weeks i will be flying for the next eight days and then i have five days off so i really want to crank out some podcasts i'm trying to record one every single day for my five days off so if you have anyone in mind or if you want to be on the podcast reach out to me send me a message email me at pilot to pilot hq at gmail.com but aviation i hope you enjoy this episode as it was truly truly an honor to talk with jeremy and i can't wait for you guys to hear what he has to say and hear his aviation story so without further ado here's jeremy groden what's going on jeremy thanks for coming on the pilot to pilot podcast yeah hey justin uh happy to be here i know we've been trying to hook up for a while so uh glad we finally were able to get some common time together i know right i feel like there's been couple times where we've been in the same city just by happenstance and it just wasn't able to work out oh yeah chicago a couple weeks ago. that's uh, right i remember uh, no. you remember el paso it was like a year ago in el paso too you were driving through el paso and i was sitting there but i, I left before you guys got there 
That's right. Uh, we're um, we're at we were actually in El Paso for a wedding in my hometown, and I forgot you were out there. Yep, I used to. That's yeah, funny. used to live down in those areas. <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. Yeah. El Paso is not a bad spot to, to overnight. No, it's not. It's a little better than Laredo. Yeah, anything Laredo. <laughs> well, cool, man. Let's go ahead and get started a little bit. The first thing I want to know, and I'm sure everyone else wants to know, is why did you want to become a pilot? Well, uh, it's a good question. <laughs> um, so it started when I was young, like everybody. I mean, everybody, it seems like, got the bug when they were when they were kids. But uh, I have an uncle who is a retired airline pilot and was a fighter pilot back in the day. And uh, I had an interest, an immediate interest from him. And, you know, I would always, I would always pick his brain and just want to talk about airplanes with him, even when I was like eight, eight or nine years old. Uh, <laughs> when I was, uh, in elementary school, we moved to a different house and found out that the neighbor next door was a private pilot. He had his own airplane. He was an older gentleman, but he had his own airplane, a Cessna 210 uh, Silver Eagle edition. So it had the Allison turbine engine, that tiny little oh, turbine dang. engine in it. Yeah, it was sweet. So that was actually my first airplane that I actually got to fly. That's awesome. Um, he would, uh, he would take my neighbor, would take my dad and I up, uh, we'd go check out his ranch down in, down, uh, down east of El Paso. And that, I mean, that's pretty much where I got hooked. I was 13, 12 or 13 years old. Did he have a um, private airport that he could take off out of? Like you said, is that his ranch? Did he just take off from his fields? No, his his airport didn't, his or his ranch didn't have an airport, okay. but uh, it, it was near uh, Alpine, Texas. I'm sure you kind of you might be familiar. It's near Marfa, a bit, yeah, yeah, oh, kind yeah. of a big, a big bend area. So really beautiful out there. But uh, he took off out of um, out of a airport in El Paso called. Uh, it's actually it was just west of El Paso, New Mexico. Oh, nice. Um, and it so happened that's where I actually did the first bit of my private pilot training and my that's where I eventually soloed. Nice. I spent some I did um for my aerial survey company, I had to survey the whole county of El Paso and the three ten. And we oh, landed nice. we took off and landed at La Cruz Las Cruces. And okay. then I think there is was it the airport that's just like west and south of Las Cruces? It's like yeah, it start with five tango six. I think so. Yeah, Doniana County. Yeah, that's something that's like that. one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I flew over that a lot. We never landed there, but we flew over there all the time. Awesome. Yeah, that's funny. Small world, man. That's, I know it. Yeah, that's crazy that your first plane you flew was a turbine. Like no one gets to do that. And I mean, I I, I use the term flying very loosely. Like yeah. I was I I it's hold the controls and just point it that way and keep going yeah <laughs> so, so i mean it was it was very loosely i wasn't i didn't take off i didn't land but it was where i got hooked so was he probably the one that kind of like you talked about how he kind of helped you create this love for flying was he mainly the sole person though or was it multiple people you know it was it, he was the one that i think got the bug started uh you know my my uncle helped once i got older and started going down the professional path uh, to kind of help guide me along. Um, there's also been, you know, family friends that are airline pilots that also helped. They were there. They were there to answer questions when I was just starting my flight training. When I actually went ahead and pulled the trigger with a career. Right. Um. So you know, I've I've been very fortunate um, that I've had some mentors along the way. I really think that it's very. I mean, it's very difficult to get started in this. In <laughs> as, as this as a career yep. without a mentor and you know I've, I've heard some of your other 
uh, your other guests mentioned mentioned it, and I mean it's 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 very true. It's tough, yeah. You need someone to help guide you through. It's like a, a big minefield. Like you don't want to make the wrong turn because it's, it can be detrimental to your career, or you could find exactly. out somewhere where you could put yourself in a really scary situation, and you could yeah. you know, lose your license, lose your life. Like you got to be very careful, and a mentor will help steer you in the right direction. Absolutely, and like I mean, I, I and that's the thing. I've been I've been very very fortunate to have those mentors who just call up and say, Hey, I mean, this is what's, this is a job I found. What do you think? Yep. And they'll be like, no, that's dumb. Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, no one, no one should be doing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's funny. It's like you're close to the border. So you probably got to be really careful when you're uh, getting your first flying job. Yeah. I mean, well, actually my first, that, that's not where I, I, I didn't, uh, I, I started my private, my private pilots flying then. But I, my first flying job was actually in Austin. Oh, nice. Cool. Because, um, so. Well, going back to your training a little bit, what was your training like? Like, what did your parents think when you're like, hey, mom, dad, I want to be a pilot. I want to spend tens of thousands of dollars just to learn how to fly. <laughs> you, you know, my parents are very, uh, very pragmatic people. They're very real. Uh, they're the type of people that if you come to them and say, I want to do this, they're not going to say that's stupid. They're going to say, what's your plan? Yeah. So, the, you know, they're very. They're very, it's very good for me. So it wasn't, you know, when I told him, I look, I want to go spend tens of thousands of dollars and, and uh, <laughs> become a pilot and go for a career in it. It was okay. Well, what's your plan? Well, how are you going to take care of yourself? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to make money? Yep. Uh, so, um, from the get go, you know, when I went to go, I, I basically, ha- it was almost like a business plan. You know, I had to take it to my parents when I first, when I first, when I decided to go ahead and pull the trigger with it as a career. Cause initially I just wanted to fly as a hobby. Right. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. I could actually get into it and have a good career. I mean, when I, and you and I are about the same age. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we early in college, that was a pretty, not a good time in aviation. No, and, definitely you know, not. I remember, I remember specifically sitting in my dorm room freshman year, Googling, um, Googling how to become a pilot, like a professional <laughs> pilot and somebody like a forum where somebody says, why would you ever want to do that? Exactly. <laughs> like, don't go do something else. I had more people tell me I was an idiot for trying to become a pilot right now than anyone, probably anyone telling me that I should be a pilot. It was, it was unbelievable. They all, and I kind of, I never posted it, but I wrote something about it and I'm a terrible writer. So I deleted it immediately, but it's just, it was <laughs> crazy how like the mindset. I mean, I understand it was really bad back then. Everyone's being furloughed. You're getting paid like $18,000 as an FO for a regional. If you were even able to get hired on the regionals, which exactly. was like, it's not how it is now, but it's just, we still do something that's very cool and very fun. Oh, great. And I think that the greatest part of aviation is the community. And it's a little disappointing to know that they got so sour and that they were pushing people away because in reality, what they needed was people to start flying right then. And we can see it now with the pilot shortage. And I'm not saying that they're the reason for the pilot shortage whatsoever, as there's other circumstances that created the pilot shortage or the pay shortage, whatever you may want to call it. But it definitely didn't help. And I understand why they were like that way. I would, I mean, pilots are the same. We all complain about money. We can, everything can be better. You know, I can be paid better. I should be flying this. My schedule should be like this. I deserve this. So I understand it in that aspect, but I I would like to think if it was the reverse situation, I would still tell people, Hey man, like this is what the career is. This is what you have to look forward to. It may not be the best career as it was, but if you love it, then go for it. And, and I couldn't agree more. You know, like I've, I've listened, I've, I'm a long time listener, but, uh, 
hearing hearing some 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 guys that have come up on your and gals that have come up on your uh, on your podcast that have been in the industry a long time that have had to ride the waves of it. You know, I I I have the utmost respect for them. I mean, exactly. it's, it, we're very fortunate that we've come into this industry when we did, but it's important to recognize where it came from. Right. We don't understand. And, it's like when when I interviewed Kurt. Stabilizer motion. He was talking about how he would sleep on a bench outside of Corpus Christi and how he had the shade in the terminal. <laughs> I remember like, that. Yeah, it's like we, the new guys, and the, like they don't understand the sacrifices they had to make for us to to do what we do necessarily. So I mean, like, I don't want to like say that you should like worship them, but like they definitely paid the dues for all of us to get to absolutely. where we are. No, absolutely. And like I said, utmost respect. Um, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad the industry is there. There seems to be a light on the uh, at the end of the tunnel. Things have gotten a lot better. I mean, look at regional pay, how how much it's gone up. And um, I mean, the jobs you and I have right now, I don't think we would have dreamt of having uh, 10 years ago. You know, yeah, we, no. it, would, it would be it would be a pipe dream. Exactly. Definitely. There's there's no way. There's just no way. Now, well, you were talking about your your business plan you had to come up with your parents and kind of which I love that because it's it's different than everything else being a pilot like you you need to understand because when I even when I first started like when you think of a pilot if you just tell your friends you're like oh you're going to make good money you know but like that's sometimes not the case and you are not right. going to make really good money until maybe you make it to a major airline and you got to hope that you get in at the major airline at the right time you know exactly. so yep. What was your business plan? Did you know that that was possible, or were you like, "Oh, I'm going to be so rich when I'm a pilot"? You know, I I never thought that. I never, never, I, and I don't like to plan 20 years ahead and just say that's what my life is going to be like. It's things things happen, things change. But basically, it was how much is it going to cost? All right, so I had a cost for it. How am I going to pay for it? Well, I need to finance it. I need to take out a student. I need to take out a student loan. I was very fortunate that I was coming out of college debt free. Yeah. But that was that was a plan of my parents to make sure that I could go do something like this and be able to finance it. And it was it was either this or go to law school or uh, or any type of graduate school. But I decided on this, so right. I brought it to them. I found a I found a uh, you know I I got my private pilot's license in college when I was nineteen. I uh, went to the University of Texas in Austin. Hey. Uh, uh, we we don't have a um we didn't have a aviation program so I I had started my private pilot shortly before that I finished it on my own with a local flight school in Austin just money I saved up over the summer um working summer jobs um and then uh started flying as a hobby and then junior to senior year I basically got really really started diving into how can I make this happen. You know, I had airline pilot family friends saying, and my uncle also saying, it's going to be a good time. There's going to be a lot of retirements. I mean, I'm sure you heard the exact same oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, all the time. But, you know, finally I went ahead and did some research, found some flight schools, uh, visited one. I actually drove down to Houston to visit one here in Houston that's uh, coincidentally not here anymore. <laughs> I had a terrible experience there. I'm not going to even say the name of it. I, just, <laughs> I wonder why I, it's not around. <laughs> exactly. I didn't feel, I didn't, I just didn't feel welcome. It was like, yeah. why are you wanting to become a pilot? <laughs> you yeah. know, it was, a, it was a school that was affiliated with a regional airline at the time. Oh, wow. So, um, I settled on a ATP actually okay. of all part 61 schools. So all my private pilot, all, I mean, I'm sorry, all my flight training was all part 61, even though ATP is kind of a it's 61, but they have a, a really good curriculum. Right. Um, so I set it on ATP. I could get some financing. Uh, I had a path. I, I had a, for me, it was get the training done as quick as possible so I could start working as quick as possible to for start sure. paying for it. Um, my 
plan, if you will, my business plan circling back to that was how can I actually uh, get my training done quick and start making money and paying for it, paying it back. Exactly. And I, and that's essentially what I did. That's what I brought to them and they supported it. How, so I have a lot of uh, kids probably say that are 16 tonight, don't want to call them kids, but a lot of people that are ages 16, 19, teenagers that are asking me like, how do you pay for flight school? How do you finance it? What, I got a question for you. It's what were you willing to take out? Like, were you willing to take the max amount of loans out? Did you have a limit that you were going to set for yourself that you just would not take out any more than this money? And also how far would you have traveled to become a pilot? You know, cause you could like these kids, maybe their, their local area, there's one flight school and it doesn't have a good reputation or it's just way too expensive. But like, were you willing to, to move to Florida, to move to California to move to Arizona to go fly? I was actually, I would have been, I was willing to, I was fortunate that I didn't have to, that I could stay, uh, in Texas. I didn't stay in Austin. I actually went up to Dallas. Um, you were asking about what my, what my maximum amount that I would find. I mean, I was not willing to put myself in, I was not willing to go take out a mortgage or go pay for flight (laughs) training. No, I I, I wanted a, I I wanted to know when I went into this, I basically, knew what my, what I was going to have to owe at the end of every month for my, for my training, you know, what, what I would have to pay back. And I knew that if I got a flight instructing job, even if I instructed for 15 years, you know, thank God I didn't, but even if I did, I would be able to afford to pay it off. You know, it's just in to what you, to go back on your question, what you're asking about, about guys that are coming up the pipeline and thinking about becoming a pilot. Um, when you're working your summer jobs and you're bringing in some money, don't go blow it, you know, save it up. Don't go, don't go buy the night, the, the new car when you finally have enough for a down payment on it. Just you want that discretionary income to get to say, you know what? I want to go fly this week. I want to go build some time or I want to go, uh, start my instrument rating. Exactly. exactly. I, I completely so, agree. It's hard too. Cause I mean, you finally, make, you finally get to make some money. You don't really have many expenses other than flight training and you might just go out or you might buy a boosted board or whatever you want to do. And then there goes all your money. So if you want to fly, uh, you definitely have to be diligent with your money and you got to save it. Um, what's, I don't know, this is not to be in the podcast if you don't want to talk about it, but what, how long will it take you to pay off those loans? If you don't mind me asking, or have you already paid them nope. off? You, I'm happy to say, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I was very fortunate that I was, I, so it, when I applied for flight training, this was again, 2010, 2011, uh, we are still kind of coming out of the financial crisis uh, as a country yeah. and it was, credit was very slow to get started. If you remember, um, you know, it was, I mean, you could, it would be almost virtually impossible to get a credit card, yeah. <laughs> to apply for a credit card then now. So things have changed a lot now, but, um, I was, so I didn't have the best interest rate. I refinanced it not that long ago and really helped myself out. I'll be, it'll be all paid off in the next five to six years, probably. So, you know, and, and I can still, I, I, and I kind of set it up. I mean, you can, I kind of set it up where I'm still saving and I'm still paying it off. I mean, the point is, is that I've been from the basically from the time I finished flight training and I and I started paying back my loans and I was working as a CFI. I tried like quarterly to get my loan refinanced. Okay, nice. So, so <laughs> where's worked, the best deal? Oh man, uh, you just have to shop it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but I, in all seriousness, so if you if you're looking to pay stuff back, I um the the place I found is awesome. Good. Um, so if you want to talk privately, I can definitely 
help you out with that try sounds, and kind of set you up sounds good man for sure i mean well just that anyone in general i think it's just refreshing to know that it's it doesn't have to be paid off your whole lifetime you right. can you can pay it off in a decent amount of time now you may not be able to live the life the glorious life of a pilot with all the money you're going to be making but you're going to be setting <laughs> yourself up for the future and it's going to let you do more things in the future absolutely and you know there there and again the advice i one more thing to just give to say is that you don't have to find the most expensive school. You don't have to find the best school, the glass cockpits and the nicest airplanes, but find somewhere that's going to work for you. Find something, you know, work for you financially, work for you time-wise and just in general, that's, that's going to get you done quick. Completely uh, agree. You know, so you can shop around there, there. And right now is a good time. There's a lot of people trying to become pilots. There's a lot of guys doing it. So you can just shop around and Find something that works. Exactly. That's that's what I did too. And I did my private at Ohio State and then I moved back to Charlotte. And there was one big flight school that kind of everyone went to. And I just didn't like it. I didn't click with the owner. I didn't click with the flight instructors there. And I went to a smaller one on the other side of the field. And it was kind of struggling. You know, they, they didn't have the nicest airplanes. But it was like a real family environment. And they were just going through an owner change. And I loved the new owner that was coming in there. And he just he was young. And he loved aviation. Wanted to buy airplanes. And I kind of like bought into what he was saying. And it wasn't the most expensive. It was definitely cheaper. It wasn't glass cockpit. I mean, these planes were relatively old. But the maintenance was good and he he wanted me to do well so i trusted him and now that flight school is the biggest flight school in the area and they're like a serious dealer and they have all these cool planes now so it's it's just really you don't have to pick the most expensive one now they might be the most expensive one now (laughs) but at that time if you find yourself in a similar situation don't pay attention to glass cockpit don't pay attention to that stuff just get the best deal that that is for you whether it's you click with the instructor the owner just maintenance whatever Exactly. And see that my, where I decided to get my private pilots at in Austin, where I, you know, I'd started on when I was on break on like winter break in El Paso, just getting my summer and winter break, getting my private pilot started and eventually soloed there. But when I went, when I was in school in Austin, um, that's where I finished it at a flight at a local flight school there. And it was the same situation. Like there was a, the nice school on the field that had the nice airplanes. They had some G, they had some G1000, 172s and they were very expensive. Same, you know, very rigid of a program. And then I found uh, the next door, the school next door, and it was like very mom and pop, like you said, very much. It felt like a family. Had the older airplanes, and um, but he loved aviation. The, it was like the owner's kind of second career, and he yeah. was very passionate about it. So I actually ended up when I finished up at ATP in Arlington, I actually finished up and went down to Austin to work for him as an instructor. Nice. I went back, and he. I was fortunate he hired me up and. I was happy to, it was just happy to have a job at that yeah, point. Exactly. Now I was, um, so I didn't go the instructor route. I went aerial survey. You went right. the instructor route. Did you have any other options when you were, when you were in that situation? Did you think about doing survey? Did you think about maybe SIC at a freight job? I don't know if they really had those back then where you could get on with 500 hours, but did you always want to be a flight instructor or is it just kind of how it all worked out? You know, I think it's, kind of how it all worked out atp um it's they kind of funnel you into that direction uh i i mean it's it kind of goes along with their model of get pilots up to the 1500 hours and get them into the uh into the right seat of a, of a crj yeah but i think i so they kind of funnel you in the fastest way to do that it seems is to flight instruct and they want you to ultimately what they want is you to flight instruct for that exactly they want to make money I, off you <laughs> exactly so so i never really expanded out of that bubble through training to see if maybe I should 
go fly freight for somebody. I, uh, I mean, I, I, I never did. Yeah. I, I, I thought I'd be an instructor and, um, and that was just what I kind of set myself up for. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're different than many of the pilots out there yeah. that, that thought because I never wanted to be an instructor. So I would spend hours <laughs> reading forms. Like, how do you not become an instructor? Like, what else can I do? And I finished my multi-engine commercial and I started doing training for the CFI but I just I wasn't interested in it whatsoever and I, that's not the go I don't have anything against CFIs or that route it's just not what I wanted to do and I was like three lessons in and I got a call from one of the companies I applied to and they're like hey we want to hire you to fly for our aerial survey company with like 206s Seneca's Aero Commanders and Cessna That's 310s. Awesome. And I was like, absolutely. Oh, yeah, no and kidding. It, and it turned out that job is one of the reasons how I got the dream job that I have right now because I got all the multi-time at an early time. So mm -hmm. it all paid and, off. And again, that's that's kind of... it's. I would have jumped all over that. Like yeah. if I had that opportunity, I would have been all over it. I liked instructing, but it is certainly not for everybody. Yeah. So you did instructing. What was your first job after instructing? Did you do instructing until you got 1,500 hours? Did you... Well, so I, well, I, yeah, so I was flight instructing, I, you know, I, I was instructing, but it was a, it was a really cool setup. I, I told you it was a mom and pop flight school. I could work as much or as little as I wanted to. Nice. Um, so I, of course I wanted to, I, I went into the trenches. I was grinding. I wanted to, I wanted to get the hours and I wanted, <laughs> I pay off those loans <laughs> and I wanted to pay off the loan for flight school and yeah. still, and you know, so, um, I, I flew a lot. I instructed a lot with them, but I also Kind of net. I started building up a good network. Uh, I would. I was very fortunate that the uh, the school is out of an F, out of a major FBO in Austin. Yeah. And um, I was able to. I had. I made business cards, <laughs> so I would pass them around. I would just introduce myself to pilots sitting at the FBO uh, to basically you and me guys now yeah. <laughs> or back then. So I mean, that's I'd what you pass, do, though. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what you, what you need to do. That's what you do, and. Um, through that, I actually was able to get some contract gigs. I nice. kind of got a little, a little network of contract gigs going. I, I contract instructed for, for a flying club in Austin. And I also, my name, my name also kind of got out to private aircraft owners that own like bonanzas and stuff. And I would, I would go do BFRs and, and, uh, occasionally, you know, the owner of the airplane would be like, Hey, my wife needs to go to Dallas. I can't, I, I'm busy today. Can you fly her up there? So uh, yeah, <laughs> I got, I got cool gigs like that, you yeah. know? Um, ended up through that finding a, getting, getting set up with a company in San Antonio that was flying Merlins, uh, nice. in a part 91 environment. And, um, I was flying SIC right seat in these things and, you know, actually getting stick time too, which was cool. So I actually got to fly them. Um, and I did that for a few months. I built up a couple hundred hours in the Merlins where I got my, that's where I got the bulk of my, my multi-time. Yeah. Um, and like you, it, it set me up for the job that I eventually were to get in Houston. Right. It's so. funny how you like the first couple jobs can always be kind of sketched. I mean, I know yeah. like my aerial survey job was, was, was great opportunity, great time, but you'll learn as you're going through this process or if you've already gone through this process, the early jobs, they skip on maintenance. They don't want to pay you. They like, they 20-hour duty days. Yeah. The, re <laughs> yeah, the reason why they hire you at 250 hours is because they can't get anyone at 1,000 hours, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. So <clears throat> you just got to be careful in what you find. And it's just, yeah, it'll choose what will set you up for the future and just suck it up for six months, eight months, nine months, 12 months, be safe and get it done. 
Certainly. Couldn't agree more. I mean, there, there's, there's good, there's good jobs out there. And as long as you're not putting yourself in a, I mean, the, the, as long as you're not putting yourself in a situation where you could get a violation, um, and, and, or get in an accident, yeah. uh, you, 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 that's what you're, that's what you should be looking for. Yeah. And I loved how you talked about how you just went straight old school, made business cards, word of mouth, shook people's hands, put a face to your name so they can know who you are. Cause that's what aviation is all about. I mean, there's these job boards, there's everything there, but to really stand out, go call them, go to the FBO. I guarantee you that that will put you a step ahead of everyone else that's on the internet. It may sound really old school, like I said, but it actually helps because they want to, when they're looking to hire someone, they're looking to hire a normal human being. They want to hire someone who they can stand for eight hours at a time and in an airplane sitting three inches away from each other. It's not, anyone can fly the airplane. They just want to know that you're going to be a good person and you can also fly an airplane. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, I still keep up with some of those guys that I introduce myself to. Um, I still, when they come into Houston, I'll still try and meet up with them. Yep. Um, it, it, those were people that, I mean, they, they were, for me, my goal was one, either to get a contract to, to let, to let that, for them to let me sit right seat in their King Air or their citation. Or, um, a second goal was to develop, to do, uh, develop a mentor. Yeah. And that was ultimately what became of it. So I, I was able to get some good mentors out of it. Yeah, um, sure. and, and like I said, I still keep up with them today. That's what it's all about. And then you probably mentor other people and they keep up. with Yes, you. absolutely. My, I think I take a lot of pride like that. This is one thing I really enjoyed about flight instructing. I had a, you know, most of my flight, my students were just primary. They wanted just to get a private pilot student fly, fly their the weekend flyers. But I did have a couple that were career minded. Yeah. And I mean, it's awesome to just get to it was it's one of the coolest things. It's like a proud dad. <laughs> you know, you see you see your student come up and then he gets his commercial and then he's on his way to fly for somebody and they're on their way to an airline. Like I've got three students in mind that are just rock stars and doing awesome. And I still keep up with all of them. Um, I And I love ment- I love it when they call me and say, hey, what do you think about this job? Should I should I go for it? Should I avoid it? Yep. That's you know, awesome. I really, I really like being that, being that mentor for them. Yeah. Talking about being a flight instructor and stuff. What did you, I'm sure you had some times where those people you were mentoring try to kill you. Do you have any interesting stories? <laughs> um, you know, what comes to mind, I had, um, I had one student that had a hard time under a hard time with throttles. Um, I remember I told him to add power and he ended up pulling the throttle out on a, on a short field landing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a, interesting strategy. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, it freaked me out a little bit. It yeah. woke me up for sure. Um, uh, let me think about that. You know, I, I got I, I some of it, I feel like I've erased from my, oh, to my yeah. mind. but you have you know, to, <laughs> but you know, it, it is a, uh, it's amazing to remind, like when I've gone through my logbook and I've looked at those flights and I'm like, man, I can actually remember where, Tower accidentally turned the guy right into us. Yeah, exactly. You really so, can. You, when you look through your logbook, you just talk with people. It's funny. You're going to probably tell the same 10 stories to your friends over and over again, but oh yeah, it's absolutely. just what you do. But, you know, there, there are certainly, there were certainly times where uh, I had students that, you know, they were struggling. They were trying to understand. I, I, I had my students that just didn't, that thought they wanted to become a pilot that were told they should become a pilot and that they should probably should not have, you know, yeah. they, they just, they were just not willing to sit down and study and willing to put in the work. And that was ultimately what it came down to for me is that they're, they're the, the students that actually wanted to excel at it. 
would do it because they just needed to sit down, do the work, do the book work, study and ask questions. Yeah, because I mean, so. flying is like you either know it or you don't. You know, there's, exactly. there's no, you can't cheat it, you can't fake it, especially when you get into IFR. Like, mm-hmm. you know how to, you know how to enter a hold or you don't. You know how to talk to the radio, or you don't. You can fly a ILS to minimums or you can't. Like, it's just like you know it or you don't. So you're really just cheating yourself if you don't put in the time, and you're just you're wasting money because you're not going to succeed. Absolutely. And as an instructor, that's a, that's a part, you know, it was instrument training really in, that I felt like broke apart those that wanted to become professional that, that would, or the ones that would say, you know what, I can't do this. Yep. Um, and that, that's all, that's, it's, it's absolutely true. Just what you were saying. I mean, it's, it's the most book work. It's the most challenging. It's also the most fun. And yeah. I, I, I think the instrument's the most fun. Oh, that doubt. No. Especially when you get to use it too. It's like yeah. many times I was flying freight and I'm, flying hard IFR all the way up to 10,000 getting beat up and all of a sudden you pop out of the clouds and the sun setting and it's just like this is so cool exactly but yeah for those 10 for those first 10,000 feet I was hard IFR flying my butt off so I mean you got to be able to put the work in to get to where you want to get absolutely uh you know and it's also something to be said when you get to the check ride the check ride for those that are for those for everybody that's listening that hasn't you know, that's still in high school, still in college, the check ride is unlike any test you'll ever take. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not standardized. I mean, it may be standardized in the sense of the examiners asking the same stuff, but right. it's not standardized in the sense that you have a piece of paper and you answer questions. It's right. a practical, it's truly a practical where you have to sit down and you have to be a real person and yep. sit there and, and, and what will you do type scenarios. And it's, uh, it's unlike anything you would ever do. So it, it takes it takes practice. Yeah, and the hardest thing for me was not to say too much. It's like you exactly, don't put yourself down too. the rabbit hole. <laughs> it's like, well, you start explaining stuff and you get to an area where you're not 100% sure and they'll sense it and they'll be like, oh, so tell me a little bit more about this. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I had an instructor at, at, at ATP that was just, he was awesome at breaking me of that because I was the same exact way. Yep. <laughs> Just answer the question. Don't say anything else. It's okay to be short, be, I mean, be like intelligent and be, be courteous. But if they ask one question, just answer it. Don't keep going. Just, exactly. Yeah. What does this do? It does this. Next. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for sure. Talking about check rides a little bit though. Did you have any issues with your check rides? Did you pass all your check rides or do you have any failures? No, I actually, I've had a, I've had a couple failures. Oh. I failed my private pilot's check ride on the, uh, on the oral actually. Um, I think, you know, I wasn't entirely prepared for it. Um, I'm trying to think back what I failed on. I want to say it was a weight and balance question. Yeah. Um, And it was a simple, it was a simple math issue that I just didn't do. And it's, it was, you know, it was my instructor apologized because he felt like he didn't adequately prepare me. But as the, as a student, I also didn't adequately prepare myself. Right. So it it was a good lesson that, you know, first off, again, you're your own, you know, you, you make your own, your own destiny with it. You know, you fail, you, you fail, it's on you, you pass, it's on you. Um, so it was a good learning experience to say, Hey, shoot, I really have to be serious when I come into these check rides. For sure. You, know, you can't just, you can't, no pun intended, just wing it. <laughs> but, um, my, uh, and then my CFI initial, um, again, it was a, it was a question on the oral and it wasn't anything specifically that I did. The in the examiner of uh, the FAA inspector rather basically said, "Look, you know it. You just don't know it deep enough to teach it, and I can't pass you because of that." So had to go home, study harder, 
work with my instructor harder and go back and pass it. It's actually really funny. That inspector was, uh, was the same FAA inspector that, uh, observed me giving my first check ride as a check airman <laughs> with my That's current hilarious. job. And so it was really cool to just kind of circle back to that. That is funny. He's like, wow, man, like you did it. You're really good. You did a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> or he's like, nope, he failed. <laughs> I don't I like it. Oh, I was super nervous when yeah. I was with that check ride because I was thinking back to when, back to my CFI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tough. Those, those guys have a tough job and I know that they don't really get the credit, but it's, they really are there to make sure that you can do this well. And I think the most important thing to understand is if you fail a check ride, it's not the end of the world. It's not, certainly. People fail check rides all the time. It's okay to fail check rides. Now, try to pass every check ride. That's amazing. But the airlines and hiring, how it is, you don't necessarily have to have passed every check ride. And like we said, like I've said in previous podcasts, just because you fail doesn't mean you're a bad pilot. You can still fly. You just, people sometimes have bad days. They have a bad instructor. There's just a lot of circumstances that go into failing a check ride. So don't, don't beat yourself up too much. And that's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I've sat on the interviewing table, both sides of it. When someone asks you if you failed a check ride, it's not ask. It's not saying, "Well, oh look, I got you now. Like you, you failed something. You're not going to work here." That's not what we're asking. We're asking simply, "You did you fail a check ride?" Yes. Okay. That's not what's important. It's what it's it's how you act to it. How right. you react. Did you did you learn from it? Exactly. How, what did you? So can you give me a, the reason why? If the guy's like, "Well, yeah," as the examiner, he was having a bad day. He was just out to get me. Chances are, you're not. We're going to look at you with a raised eyebrow. Yeah. You yeah. know, own it. It's okay. Own, it. own your it's mistake. A, yeah, because yeah, we all have. I mean, I, I, I'm always. I find when I talk to somebody that hasn't failed a check ride over their over their entire career, I find that rare. Like, yeah. I, I'm like, oh man, that guy's like a legend. It is definitely rare. I mean, I'm sure there are some cases where the guy was out to get you. Maybe he was jealous of your opportunities, and it, I'm sure that has happened before. But I have never had that happen to me too. And I failed my instrument check ride, and it was just because I just didn't know what I needed to know. You know, I kind of rushed it and kind of went from there, but I still was able to get my dream job even because of that. And the key fact is I learned from it. I don't hide it from people. And I tell people what I learned and how I can apply that to flying because flying is different every time. Like you're going to have adversity and it's what can you learn on the fly? How can you learn from <laughs> this? How can you become a better pilot consistently and constantly? And in, in, and constantly realizing that it doesn't matter. You could be the guy with 300 hours or 30,000 hours. You're going to make a mistake at some point and you're always learning. Right. You know, every flight I've, I'm, 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 I'm astonished. Like, I mean, this I know sounds cheesy and basic, but I mean, I'm, I always feel like I learned something new on every flight. Well, yeah, it's funny. Me too. And I mean, I was just done with IOE and I went out for my first, first trip with a, a normal captain and he actually learned something from me. So it's like, yeah, just because you're the captain, you have 20,000 hours or 15,000 hours. Like you can still learn something from someone else. Your flight Absolutely. instructor, a student can still teach you something like don't, that can't, that can't affect you in a way where you're, you think you're a bad instructor or a bad pilot. Just, you have to be open to learning at all times. Just be open to learning and also never be above learn above somebody with less experience than you. Um, teaching you something right there's something to be said about that for sure and it's very important you were talking about how you flew merlins what was that like they're loud yeah <laughs> they're very I loud bet. i've but, i've yeah. heard i don't know just seeing them they're not the prettiest airplanes in the world by any means but 
they help you build your multi time. So <laughs> they help you build your. They help me build my multi time. Uh, they're loud. They're goofy, but you know they're they're they're. It was a good flying airplane. It was like flying a truck. Yeah. Um, but it ultimately prepped me for uh for my for my job where I'm at now because I was hired, like I said, flying King Air 200s. Yeah. Um, and you know the King Air way easier to fly than the Merlin. Way more of a pilot's airplane. But that multi turbine time really just helped me out. And on the but the biggest thing, it wasn't the Merlin itself that helped me. I was flying with some really, really experienced guys. A lot of them were retired airline pilots. So I got I, I had this incredible knowledge pool that I got to that I had access to. Exactly. So and how'd you go about getting the job you have now from flying the Merlins? Was it just networking, like you said, or was it people you knew in the past? Or how did that all work out? Because I get questions about, hey, how'd you get the job you got now? Or how can how can I network or what's the best way for me to network to do that? So great question. I actually, um, people I had worked with or networked with, uh, had told me about this company. And one guy said, dude, just call, just give the chief pilot a call. This is his name. Give him a call and, uh, and talk to him. So I, I this is somebody I, I picked up the phone one day. I called, I asked for the chief pilot and they, it went to his voicemail. I left a voicemail. I'm like, this guy will never call me back. He called <laughs> me back that afternoon. We talked. He got me down to down to Houston for an interview, um, and yeah, I've been here for about four and a half years. Nice. It's it's funny. I've had so many like yeah. Someone's like, yeah, just call the chief pilot. I'm like, I don't want to call the chief pilot. <laughs> like, why? Like, why can I email him? Can I send him a letter? Like, I don't want to call him. But you need to get over that because that's how yeah. you get in the door. Is like we talked about earlier. Is making that personal relationship, putting a name to the face, or just making sure it's more than an email so they know who you are. It's absolutely it's so true, and you know, um, like I said, I, I've been on the I'm on the side where I, I I'm I'm in management with my company. So when we get resumes, I get the emails on them. So I we get them all the time. We get lots of resumes, and it's hard to just weed through words on a page. Um, if somebody call, makes a phone call, it it just helps us. It puts that personal connection. It's like, well, this guy made a phone call. Yeah. He it, he seems interested. I, this is somebody I really want to spend time on. I mean. Or I want I want to look into deep into more closely. I mean, when we bring somebody in for an interview, most of our a lot of the applicants aren't living here, so right. we're we're burdening an expense to bring them in. Exactly. You know, I'd I'd rather somebody that's making a phone call, putting themselves out there than some than just words on a page. Definitely. And what can someone put? Because it's hard because we all. I mean, when you're looking at a resume, you're looking at flight time, you're looking at jobs that they had, planes that they flew. How can someone differentiate themselves? on paper is it possible or is it oh, yeah. like we say yeah, it is what's the best way that they can do it um consistency you know that I, I consistency first off uh a lot of the aviation resumes my I guess my biggest criticism with aviation resumes is they're very um they're very basic people aren't putting information into them they're uh i've seen too many like way too many one is too many but way too many uh, where there's just grammatically, they don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, words are misspelled. Um, abbreviations for states aren't capitalized. Like, I mean, those are little things, but those are things that stand out to me and say, if you're not putting detail into that, how are you going to be as a captain? Exactly. Um, so be consistent. If you have on an aviation resume, we put our flight, our flight experience, our, our total hours and everything, make sure those hours make sense. You know, make sure the times work sense actually, or make sure the times actually it, it works out. Don't, um, don't just put it together one afternoon and send it out, you know, take some time, uh, 
and and have a have all that in. But really, the big things you you want your nice you want your flight experience. You want it nice hi, nicely highlighted, yeah. right? You you want uh, some work history. Um, the one thing, and I know this is circumstantial, but it, it happens. But the one thing that also stands out to a to an employer, a potential employer, is if you have multiple jobs on your resume and you're at every job for no more than six or seven months at a time, that stands out. And that makes, and that understandably makes a management, a hiring person, uh, nervous. So, because you're investing in them, you have to get them a type rating. You have to make sure they train, they're trained. You're going to put them in hotels. You're going to pay for their food. And that's money out of the company's pocket. So, you exactly. need to make sure that, I mean, everyone knows that aviation and earlier jobs can be seen as stepping stones. And I think that people do understand that, but there's a difference between using it as a stepping stone and actually like providing for that company and providing a, um, a, a purpose and a service that you can you can do for the company because the company wants to get everything they can out of the the pilot and the pilot wants to get everything they can out of the the pilot or the company so you just have to make sure it's even sure absolutely and and that's that's really what it comes down to i mean keeping it keeping it even making sure that you're going to be an asset for the company um it's just it's something to be said with guys that are coming up the pipeline now uh my biggest advice is if you're if you're thinking about flying corporate make sure you're not jumping from job to job because it, because it, it, it's something that a lot of employers will look at and just say, this guy's no good. <laughs> and, you know, is that the one thing you would say that turns you away from people? Is that, or is there another, like, what's the one thing you see on a resume where you instantly like crumple it up and throw it away? I would say that the person, me personally. And then also with the, with the, with my other fellow, uh, my, my coworkers in management, that's one of those things we'll look at and we'll say, Oh, here's this guy. He's got he's got this experience, but man, look how many jobs he's jumped. Look how many times he's worked and yeah, he's worked. He's different... 24 and he's had seven jobs. <laughs> exactly. So you know, and you know what? And that's this is again where if say that is you, say that's happened because maybe you worked somewhere that shut the door six months after you started, or you went somewhere and it wasn't all that you thought it was going to be. You know, maybe they promised you something and they gave you you know they gave you an airplane that was broken half the time. Right. Um, say that is you that's when the more the ever so important phone call you know call call the chief pilot say and admit say yes my resume has that i'm not going to apologize for that but it's there because this job you know i, I it's best to just explain what happened beforehand mm-hmm. than your resume end up in the trash exactly and just be honest like even maybe put a little more detail in the email and just to say like, Hey, like I did use these jobs as stepping stones and I was able to find a better job, but just be like, Hey, this is the job that I do want. And I don't want to leave from this job and just reassure them in every single way that you're there to help them. Sure. Absolutely. Um, that's cool. I'm glad that we got to talk about that. Cause I don't think I've ever talked to anyone that's in a hiring position and that actually hires pilots. So that's, that's pretty interesting. I think people will get some good information out of that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. What, uh, how many hours do you guys usually look at when you're hiring? Yeah, uh, you know, we're with being, being a 135, similar to your operator, yeah. um, that we're, we, we need to have about 1500 hours, gotcha. uh, just, just because meeting our vendors, um, our, the vent, the vendors we work with oil companies, uh, that's what they want to see. Yeah. It's, so, it's like, sometimes it doesn't come down to the company. It comes down to the insurance, you know, exactly. like it's like the insurance, like, Hey, like, 
I'm, it's great you could hire a guy with 900 hours, but this guy can't fly unless he has two jet engines on here, has two <laughs> pilots, has catering fully stocked. It's like, what? <laughs> so insurance really is kind of the overall ruler in a lot of that. It is. And I hated that coming up the pipeline. I was, I wanted to, I wanted to be 500 hours and getting in the, exactly. in the right seat of a, of a, of a, uh, of a global express, but that's not going to happen. It's so funny how that has changed in me too. The whole time I was doing my training, it's like, man, this 1500 hour rule like sucks. Like I, I took it personally and I was just like, this is just so annoying that this has happened to me. But as I've kind of come up in this career, I'm like, you know what? That's actually not a bad rule. And I kind of like the fact that there's 1500 hours. I don't know if it's just because I went through it and I feel like other people should have to go through it too now. But I just, I don't think it was as bad as what I initially thought it was going to be. You know, and I, I agree. I, I, I didn't like it at first, you know, when at first I, when the, that rule changed, I was in training and I, I was like, oh man, it's going to take me longer to be, to be, to become an airline pilot. My ultimate goal at ATP was actually to become an airline pilot. I didn't tell you that, Yeah. but, but I was singing that and, and the rule changed and I hated it. And then as I've been working in the industry, as long as the years have kind of gone by, I've been, realized it's actually been very good for us. It's been good for the industry. It's it's bumped pay everywhere. And we hear about the regionals. We hear about the airlines. There's pay going up, but it's affected corporate. And it's caused it's it's caused operators to start uh, providing more for their pilots. And that ultimately is good for the industry. Oh, without a doubt, it is. And I, I, I completely agree. And you're talking about how you want to be or you, your goal at ATP was to be an airline pilot. Is that still your goal now or can you see yourself staying in the corporate world forever? You know, I, I, I love flying corporate. Um, I love the lifestyle. I like getting to, you know, we, we get to fly to some pretty cool places and hang out from time to time. Like I was in Cancun three weeks ago and that was awesome. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I, was there, I was there for three nights and I, I mean, I'm there working, but yeah. I'm not, you know. So that's a really cool aspect of corporate but i'm certainly more of a a busy a busy body like i like if i'm going to be away from home um i want to be flying every day right. that's kind of that's i want to be working well, um, then you're in the you're in the perfect career because that is a very good opportunity <laughs> exactly yeah. so i'm more i i'd say i'm more in I, I i definitely like the airline uh lifestyle a little bit more i, I can't say uh in comparison because i haven't worked for the airlines but the um idea of it uh, attracts me more, mm-hmm. but I'm, but nonetheless, I'm enjoying my time in corporate Good. enjoy where you're at. That's the most important advice. I think you can give someone that's just getting, maybe getting out of their first job or even getting their first job. It's like, enjoy it. Like don't, oh, yeah. don't keep looking over your shoulder for the next job. Don't keep thinking, man, I really wish I was here or I can't wait to get here. It's like some of my f- most fun times flying was at the sketchy aerial survey company. I was right. able to fly with friends that I knew from college. We were going to cool cities. We were 22, 21 years old flying around and doing all like going to San Antonio and Austin, going to to Orlando, I got to fly through the Disney TFR for a <laughs> survey and just like, I got to do really cool stuff and it was just fun. So just enjoy where you are. But I mean, at the same time though, always have light that fire under your butt to keep you going, to keep you, don't ever just settle, just keep wanting to do better for yourself, but never overlook where you are. Exactly. You know, flight instructing, man, I was, I was flying some older airplanes and you know, the flight instructing can be mind numbing uh, when you're doing 15 when you're doing doing 10 turns in the pattern but you know but be happy where you're at like i i remember i same thing i'm still flying an airplane uh we're i'm taking my students we're going and making barbecue runs out to out to like lano texas and 
going up to Stephenville, Texas, doing these barbecue runs and having a good time, uh, going up watching the fireworks over on the 4th of July, yeah, like yeah. getting to do stuff like that. Um, it just be happy where you're at. Like you said, light the fire. Um, there's good opportunities up there, out there, but don't let it fuel you to just jump ship every time the grass appears to be greener. Yeah. The grass isn't always greener. I've learned exactly. that no, from not. people I've interviewed, even people at American, at United, at Delta. I've mm-hmm. talked to, I've interviewed them. They have said, some of them say, I hate my job. And it's like, how can you hate your job? You're making like $400,000. And it's like, well, this airline does it better than this one does. And it's like, what are you talking about? You know, it's just kind of like you, we always have something to complain about, like I said earlier, but for someone else that doesn't understand it, and some people might think my job's better. Some people might like how the airlines do it better. So it's not always greener and just really focus on where you're at. Yeah. And couldn't, and I, I completely agree. When I was, when I was flying the Merlins, one of the, some, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten was from a captain there. And he was like, I mean, this guy was like, God, <laughs> he, he had, Flown at, he had been at a, at Continental Airlines forever, you know, 35 plus years of Continental and he retired, dumb flying the triple seven. And this guy was just awesome to me. So he, uh, the best piece of advice I ever got was from him. And he said, uh, don't fall into the negativity. There's always going to be a better opportunity. You're always, there's, it's always going to come up and there's always going to be somebody that's negative about where you're at. Just enjoy where you're at. Stay, stay, steer, um, keep your head down, steer clear of it. And, don't fall into it. Exactly. That's the best advice. If you can take one thing out of this, it's just just that, 100%. Yeah, agreed. And cool. So let's, um, we've been talking for about 15 minutes and so, so I'm going to go ahead and do, I'm sure you heard this before, it's the rapid fire section. I'm just going to go rattle off a couple of questions for you and see what you got. For sure. Cool, man. All right. So let's go ahead and start. What is your favorite overnight? Oh, man. Favorite overnight? I would say... I would probably say San Diego or um, Kalispell, Montana was my other one. Kalispell, oh, cool. Montana in the wintertime because I like to ski. <laughs> nice. That would be fun. Can you bring your skis with you and your, and your company or you just rent them? <laughs> I rent them. I don't yeah. actually – I don't. Uh, living in Houston, I have really no need for a set of snow skis. <laughs> De- definitely not. Yeah. No, not at all. What's your least favorite airport to fly into? Oh, um, Teterboro. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yep. Or Aspen actually. Aspen yeah. Kind of not the not my favorite, especially when they have the TFR right off the field. Oh gosh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. What's your favorite <laughs> airport to fly into? Favorite airport? Um, let me think. Uh, it's, I really loved getting to fly into Santa Monica before they shortened the runway. Yeah, we I can was, we yeah. can still get in with our jet, so I'll still be nope. going there. Yep, that's crazy. Yep. So I haven't been there yet, but I'm looking forward to the first time. I think it'll be cool. So who knows how much longer they'll keep that open? Yeah. What is your fit? So you're going through the airport, you're coming home, you're not flying home. What is your number one go-to airport food? Number one go-to airport food. Oh gosh. Uh, probably like a salad of some, I, a salad. I'd try and be mindful of what I'm eating on the road. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you fall into the trap of eating really greasy, fattening food. It's easy to, but yeah, probably a salad or if I'm really, really just wanting something delicious and tasty, I'll go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah. That's cool. What uh, are you, Android or iPhone guy? iPhone all the way. Hey, there we go. Nice, <laughs> perfect. Um, would you rather fly long legs or have a bunch of short legs? Uh, depends. I, I like a good mix. Um, the uh, a bunch of short legs can really, really wear you out, especially if there's bad weather. Yeah. Um, and uh, and same with the long legs. They can get very, you know, hearing the engines drone on for three hours can get pretty loud. Can get pretty annoying. Yep. 
What's your favorite place to fly over? Would you rather fly over the beaches? Would you rather fly over the flyover states, mountains? What's like your favorite scenery to fly over? I like the mountains. Uh, I, out west is probably my favorite flying. I mean, I think um, on the way into San Francisco, the Bay Area, when you kind of come over Yosemite, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, that is cool. Favorite spot. I've done that so much in the last two weeks that I've been at my job. So yeah, it's definitely really cool. Yeah. I've been flying out awesome. of Lake Tahoe was a lot of fun as well. I have not done that yet. I'd love yeah, to. It was it was really cool. It's a it's a fun airport with just killer views. That's awesome. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much all the podcast. One more question I'm going to ask you, and then I'll let you go about your day. Is what is maybe three or one or however many tips or advice that you can come up with for someone that calls you, texts you, emails you right now, saying, "Hey man, I heard you on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I want to be a pilot. What should I do?" Um. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, uh, first off, I'd say do do your research. Start looking into flight schools. Find something that works for you. Um, get Ask a lot of questions. Uh, and like I said, do research. Figure out what it's going to cost you, what your end cost is going to be, and what your plan is going to be after that. So, Yeah, no, I and, definitely agree. And then uh, secondly, it's, it's uh, stay focused. Um, it's very easy to get into flight training. Flight training is a long process. I mean, uh, you know, if you don't do an accelerated flight program, you're talking, you could, it could be a couple of years. I mean, in two years you can, you can lose your focus. You can, you know, it's important to stay, uh, with a, with a goal in mind, you know, you don't want to fall off it and end up, um, end up blowing your money and buying a new car or, or, (laughs) or, uh, just dumping out dumping all together i mean stay focused with it and good things will happen yep i completely agree perfect well thanks man well well, jeremy i I appreciate you coming on the podcast i'm glad we finally were able to get it done Um, likewise Justin. i think your kind of information about hiring and just your story really help people and I, i i look forward to hearing the feedback from it and i guess one thing if you want to give out your email or anything? If anyone has the time and maybe is interested in fine for you guys and go and send you, maybe you can get some leads this way. Um, well, actually, if you so my name is on I, I I'm you you might find me on a on the corporate aviation job posting space. Nice. I don't like to give out my email on public publicly. Sounds good. I, yeah, but I I mean again I would I don't mind if somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, can uh, can Justin, can you reach out to Jeremy? I want to ask him a question. I don't mind that Perfect. at all. What about your, uh, you want to give out your Instagram or you still don't want to give that out either? Oh yeah. Uh, let me make sure I know my handle real quick. <laughs> um, yes. Jgro1988. Sounds J-G-R-O good. Jgro1988. You there can we go. find me on there. Send me a message there and I'll try and answer when I can. Perfect. Well, Jeremy, it was a pleasure talking with you, man. I appreciate Thanks, everything Justin. and you have too, a great man. day. Enjoy the yeah. wedding planning. <laughs> Will do, man. Have a good one. All right. See ya. See ya. And that is a wrap of episode number 38. Aviation, thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know. Go to our website, pilotthepilothq.com. Email me, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. Or just let me know via Instagram, at pilotthepilot. If you want to go ahead and support us on Patreon, please do that. Head to our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash pilotthepilot. Aviation, I hope you guys have a great day and look forward to hearing from you guys soon. Happy flying.